0: Unrighteousness has a component to it in which, it's the word apathe, it has a seductive component to it in which it seduces men into believing that this is proper behavior. And the unsaved people buy it hook, line, and sinker. And so... All deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. And why are they perishing? Because God is a hateful God? Because God is sending them to hell? Notice why they're perishing. Because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. For this cause, God shall send them a strong delusion that they shall believe The lie. That they all might be damned who believe not the truth. But notice this. They had pleasure. Why does he not say sin here? In unrighteousness. They had pleasure. In unrighteousness. A lot of you unsaved people. We make up a lot of excuses. Oh, they're just. Oh, they had this happen in their family. Oh, this happened. This is the reason why they're doing it. You can come up with all the reasons in the world as to why it's happening. But at the end of the day, they're making decisions that they want to make. And so you see this uh, throughout. And then notice um, I did want to jump over to page 11. The sin nature and Satan are two, component, uh, two primary co- uh, con- contributors to unrighteous behavior. Notice Paul lists several behaviors uh, linked to the char- uh, those characterized um, as uh, unrighteous. And so those would be from the sin nature. Notice fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate. Uh, and I give you some definitions there and background on what that is. And so you would have um, in classical Greek, it was to be soft or tender or weak. Um, and so it's a technical term of a passive partner in a homosexual relationship. Um Or it's use of a boy kept for homosexual relations with a man. And do you know in classical Greek, and you go back to the Roman Empire days, we haven't reached that stage yet. We're we're hurtling toward it, but they they still have us beat, (laughs) if you read some of the Roman history. Uh, Abusers of themselves with mankind. These are all works of the flesh. Uh, Covetous, drunkard, these are all works of the flesh. But then in um, the other parts that he uses, uh, thieves, revilers, or extortioners, um, are more satanic uh, in nature. Though the scripture makes a delineation between unrighteousness and sin. And so let's, if, if we would, let's go over to 1 John five seventeen 17 uh, for a brevity of time and we'll just get right to it. 1 John, what did I say? Oh, okay. <clears throat> 1 John chapter 5 and verse 17. Now, uh, John is writing and he writes to these uh, believers uh, and he's talking to them uh, uh, here in this context. He's talking to them about the will of God and how they can ask according And until so you had these Gnostics that were in the church there in Ephesus. And he's trying to correct some of the things. And notice in verse 14, he says, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will or according to a standard of measurement of his will, I mean, this really takes all of the problems out of life for the believer, I would think. All you have to do, all we have to do at any given point in time is ask any of our asking communication when it's according to. If you say here, here's God's will and you say here, this is my will. Anything that's according to a standard of measurement of God's will, he hears it. And not only does he hear it, you know that you have the thing that you asked for. Why is this such a problem? But what happens is that we want to ask according to our our will. And I don't care how many people you get to go along with you. You can get a chain line from here to China. And I'm going to tell you this. And I have scripture behind it. He's not going to hear you. If it's not his will. And you're not going to be able to change him in doing that. Verse 15. And if we know that we hear, he, he, that he hears us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of him. If any man sees his brother sin a sin, which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. So there are certain believers who are doing certain things that are going to lead to their demise. And in their doing those things. John would say don't even ask. Verse 18. Uh, verse 17. All unrighteousness is sin. And there is a sin not unto death. Now I want to ask, uh, go to this because it's very important. You have this chart, and I gave it to you, Um, this one. Is it possible to get that note on the bottom up a little bit, John? Remember, we talked about the fact that um, in the Greek, when you have a noun, and a noun has an article, it particularizes. And let me just give you a specific example I saw the boy. If I say to you, I saw the boy, you know that I'm talking about a particular boy. If I said to you, I saw a boy, words matter. You understand that I'm talking about someone who was a boy, but no one in particular. Why is this important? Very important when it comes to this verse. So let's read it and then we'll look at it. All unrighteousness, really you can read it this way, all unrighteousness, not is sin, has a quality of sin. It's not equatable. Now I can explain that to you in a technical sense, but I'm going to show you in a very practical sense. All unrighteousness has a quality of sin and there is a sin unto death. Now, Here, it looks like it's saying that unrighteousness and sin are both the same, right? Well, if that is the case, why does it say this over in 1 John 1, 9? Verse 8. If we say that we have no sin or really no sin nature we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we happen to confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And why does he put the rest of this here? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why is that there? I thought unrighteousness and sin were the same thing. Have you ever thought about it when you confess your sin? Why does he say that? What is the point of why he says that? We deal with the first part. Very few people deal with the second part. And it doesn't even occur to us why it's even there. Now, just a couple of things. So you have this chart here, and it's mapping out sin and unrighteousness. And one of the things that we will see as you look at the two of them together is that uh, unrighteousness can be mental. Now, why do we point this out? Because it's huge. I can trespass. That's unrighteous. I can trespass. Trespass is unrighteous. And what is a trespass? I determine to do something that is lawless. Even before I do it, I've offended God, and that's unrighteous. It can also occur in an action or an activity sin, action. And, oops, it must be confessed. I don't see a scripture in the New Testament, and maybe I'm wrong. I stand to be corrected. Do anyone see any scripture that says confess unrighteousness? Oh, I'm, I'm waiting for an answer. Would you say that? <laughs> Can anybody see any scripture that says confess unrighteousness? And so you, you don't have it. And so let's go back to James and we have a chart here. And I just wanted to show you this, the process of sin. So sin, and we understand it from the book of James, it starts with this. There are three enemies that you have, the world system, the flesh and Satan. They provide lust. Strong desires for each and every believer. Now, some of these, um, you have thoughts that go through your mind, but not all the thoughts go through your mind, turns into cravings. A lust is a craving. Now, in order for that lust to actually develop and go down through the sin process, you have to have temptation. And so, scripture says that uh, in James, that each man is tempted. When by his own evil lust, he is dragged away and enticed. And so let's go there in James. I don't want to jump too fast. In James, chapter one. First. Uh, 13, let no man say when he is tempted that I am tempted from God. God is not the source of it. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away. And so notice he's telling you the two components that are involved in temptation. When he is drawn away and he is enticed. But I thought when a thought entered your mind and there was a lust, it's a sin. Isn't that what they're saying all over this fruited plain of ours? If that's a sin, what's a temptation? Is that fair to ask? If a lust is a sin, then what's a temptation? If a lust is a a sin or a temptation is a sin, what's a trespass? You see, we've gone so far away from what scripture says that people are making up what they have deemed to be what they don't like. They have called sin. Well, I don't like this. Well, see, if I were making up different kinds of sin, rap music would be at the top of my list. (laughs) That would be a sin. I can't say that it's a sin because God doesn't call it that. That's just a matter of certain groups of people have certain types of leanings towards certain genres. I don't know. But you, you can see how that works, right? We make what we don't like to be sin. I shall never forget, as a kid, we went to the movies on Sunday. I know there's a lot of gasps. (laughs) That was like, do you know what that was like? I might have been better off robbing a grocery store. That's how people saw that. And so you have temptation and then you have trespass. And then sin. Everything that you determine doesn't always end in sin. Maybe you determined to do it and the opportunity didn't come. Maybe you got online and you wanted to have an adulterous affair and the person said, I don't think I like you. (laughs) You determined to do it, but you didn't have anybody who was willing to go along with you (laughs) in that sense. What's also interesting is, is this, and we talked about it, and I just wanted to show you this chart. Remember, remember we talked about the fact that Adam trespassed? And so here we have it. And so this is from Dr. Schaefer. This is a reproduction of his chart that we got in seminary. Great way to show this. So here Adam, Eve was completely deceived. And here's the scripture in 1 Timothy 2.14, and you have it in your outline, she transgressed. What is transgression? It's different from trespass. So there's a line here in which they were told they were giving a particular law, a rule, don't do this or else. Now, when she stepped over that line and did it, she transgressed. You see. And I, and I really believe here the difference between Adam and Eve was that of what they knew and why it wasn't accorded to her the things that were accorded to Adam. Notice, you see, with Adam, Romans 5 18, he trespassed. Before he even did the act, all men were condemned. He hadn't done anything, he just determined he was going to go along with what Eve said. And so, notice, then man gained a sin nature. Spiritual death. And you can see also that Adam also transgressed as well, ending up in physical death. And so you see all mankind condemned, sin nature, spiritual death and so on. And men also um, have this unrighteous bent. Uh, one other thing, Look, if you turn over, if you would, to Romans, the seventh chapter, Now, this is an interesting thing because it's not translated unrighteous, but it has this. Remember, all this unrighteousness has a quality of sin to it. And the same form that is used back there is used over in Romans 7. And it makes you see this really a little different when you put the microscope under it or you put it under the microscope. So Paul is talking about the problem he has with his sin nature. And if you're not careful, you just say, oh, yeah, yeah, sin nature, sin nature, sin nature, sin nature. But then he throws in the midst of this. He, he talks. He, there's about as far as I could number. I think there's six different articular uses of the word harmatia, which he's talking about the sin nature. And how it affects him. And then he goes on and he says, for example, in verse eight. He goes from an articular use to an unauthorous use where there's no article. It's really interesting. And so in that, I think that there's more that he's talking about there. Not just that the sin nature is giving him problems, but all of this unrighteousness that is really troubling him. Now, why is this important? Because... Scripture has the answer for what ails you. And we're telling people all of these thoughts that are going through their minds and all of this stuff that are going through their minds, the church has ceded this to the psychological world. And they've given it names that are not true. And notice what he says here. Verse 8. But the sin nature taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of lust, that where concupiscence is lust, for apart from law, sin quality is dead. All manners of um, sin principle, unrighteousness, I really believe that when I'm putting myself under some quality of law, I'm inflaming all kinds of things. And you you talk to a lot of people, and they they make these things seem more complicated than what they really are. Oh, I've got this disease, and it's this potential to be, you know, I'm bipolar, and I have the potential to just go off on people. And, you know, well, what about the fact that maybe it's something else? Maybe it might be something else. And the opportunity to be able to apply what God has said from Scripture can stabilize you. Do you know there's a good news from grace, according to Romans chapter 16, that has the ability to stabilize you? It uses the word steryzo. To cause you to have an ability to be able to stand. Do you know grace does that? Grace does that. Paul talked about this use of sin and its used in some other places. And as you point to it. Over and just go back to Romans, the fifth chapter. And the reason why I believe this is connected to the sin nature is because I mean, it's uh, the unrighteousness is because of Romans, chapter five. Notice what he says here. He says something that's really interesting. In Romans, chapter five. And I'll find the chart to it. This one. Verse 13. For until the law, or up until the law, or really up until law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed, accounted, or, or reckoned where there is no law. So God did an experiment after Adam and Eve. He wanted to show people That people were dying not because of their sins. So he didn't count men's sins against them. Well, what was the problem there? Remember what we read back in Romans 1, 29? Unrighteousness. Unrighteousness. Why was he doing that? It really was to show that men were dying and all of what was happening goes back to what Adam did. From the time that Adam acted unrighteous, all men were condemned. The whole lot of mankind became unrighteous. Do you know that's a bigger problem? You said, "Well, why doesn't God make everything unrighteous?" I'm glad you asked. I'm going to give you an illustration. How many of you have watched the movie "Lean on Me?" That's my favorite movie of all time. If Chris if he watching, he won't be laughing at this. He goes into this school in the inner city, and it's just a horrible school. And what does he start with? He didn't try to get rid of every single thing. He just pointed out certain things that he wanted to focus on. And that by focusing on those things, that was what he was trying to use to get the school to where it needed to be. And I think it's even more than that with God. I think God is revealing things in each dispensation Something about himself. For example, look at this chart. So from Adam's fall, you had unrighteousness. But do you know there's things that are were sin under law in the Old Testament that are not sin today? I hope you're not wearing cotton and tweed mixed together. Anybody here? And you're wearing the law. So there are certain things that are consistently made from unrighteousness as sin, and there are certain things that are unique to each dispensation. So I do think it's bigger than that, and that God is trying to show forth something as he puts forth certain rules of life to live under. But do you know what the biggest issue is? Men are unrighteous. They do not have the capability of acting right. They will not act right. They have pleasure in not acting right. And I don't think that we have a real appreciation for that. And if you think that you're going to change that in men, and you're going to clean up the world, you're going to not need a shovel. You're going to need a bulldozer the size of what we've never seen before. And so you do have at the bottom of page 12, the unsaved are referred to also as sinners and unrighteous. So you see both that are used. Uh, you see it in the Hebrew as, as well as the Greek. Uh, God provides the prescription for sin and unrighteousness. And so let's uh, focus on that and look at 1 John 1, nine again. 1 John 1, nine. So here's the issue. First of all, uh, there, he uses a third class condition here in verse one of chapter two, which is really astonishing that he does. Why? Because it's not written that we're going to sin. He, he really removes it out of the, the realm. Of, I mean, it, further away from possibility. So it's not just in the a, a A common thing that we could say, oh, I'm going to sin. I'm going to sin. We don't have to. We will, but we don't have to. And so notice he says in verse one of chapter two, my little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. And if any man happens to sin. We have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the propitiation for our sins, the place of satisfaction for our sins and not only our not ours only but also the sins of the whole world do you know one of the things that's wrong with calvinism is that it believes in limited atonement they deny what is just said here christ died for the sins of all men all men but notice in verse 9 if we happen to confess our sins, again, a third-class condition. John uses a lot of third-class conditions here in First John. And I think the reason that he was using that is to be able to refute some of the arguments of these Gnostics that were in the church. And so he's giving this premise, if we happen to confess our sins, I hope that we're confessing our sins. You know, we play this game, oh, I don't really know if I've sinned. Well, when you're limited to the fact that a sin is what God says, you know your sins. I know my sins. If we happen to confess our sins, notice he is faithful. He can be counted upon to forgive us of our sins. And notice, which I think is just equally important, and to cleanse us. From all unrighteousness. Now I really think this is really a problem. Why? Because I think in the Christian life. What ends up happening. The guilt. Of, and the stain. Of all the things that went through your mind. To commit that sin. Continues mm-hmm. to haunt the believer. And it haunts you. Over and over and over again. And many believers die. A thousand deaths. Over the thought patterns. And the unclean things that it took to get to that sin, and so this word for cleansing is catharizo, and it means to make a thing clean in a literal sense, or from a phys- from physical stains and, and dirt, as in the case of utensils, or in a moral sense from defilement. And so it's tied; uh, uh, it's used of the removal of that which is filthy and unclean by working by the washing of water whether it be metaphorically or physically. And here, it's used also in the spiritual sense that God cleans the believer up. All of the thoughts that went into, that preceded that sin. And I always use this as an example because a lot of people say, well, I don't have bad thoughts. I said, well, let's do this. You're just such a good, wonderful person, Why don't we just, if you just keep a diary for me and write down all these wonderful thoughts you have just so we can all just be amazed about them. Why, can you do that for just one day? Oh, no, I don't want to do that. Maybe half a day? Do you know I haven't gotten a taker yet? My cousin who is unsaved, oh, I don't want to do that. I said, well, why? You're just such a good person. You're running around doing all these good deeds. It should be just good thoughts. Those are my thoughts. (laughs) Well, you're a good person. Well, they should be great thoughts, right? Don't you want to share them with the world? You know why he didn't want to do it? Because he understands that those thoughts are not good. And most people would not share them with their closest friend. Jay Vernon McGee said one time, he says, if you'd have known the thoughts going through my mind, you'd want to get up and get away from me. And he says, but hold on, if I knew the ones going through your mind, I'd get up and get away from you. <laughs> and so you have this unrighteousness that goes on and God has the ability to cleanse us from them. The guilt of this unrighteousness when the believer doesn't see that God has his capacity and he trusts what God has said. I've confessed to sin. God's going to cleanse me. I put my mind right back on my position in Christ and nothing has changed. But that doesn't happen most of the time when believers get to those those points of the guilt of the unrighteous behavior that went on. Oh, I just can't. God just can't accept me. No way God can accept me. I can't make it back. And we refuse to avail ourselves to the provisions that God has given. And so Paul urged the believers in Romans chapter 6 and verse 13, as we get ready to close out. And I know that we tiptoed the tulips here, or as Pastor Dave says, the tithers. I don't think there's any tithers in (laughs) there. But I know that you'll have questions and we can talk about them when we get to the when we get over to the dinner. Romans chapter six and verse uh, 13. And notice what Paul says to the believers in in our relationship of unrighteousness. He says in verse. uh, 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 Well, you on the backside of it, there's three things you you see here in verse three. He says, you know, that you as many of us have been uh, baptized into Jesus Christ, have been baptized to to his death. Therefore, we were buried with him in baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised out from the dead through the glory of the Father, even so that we can walk in a new kind of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. And we see that as resurrection life, that we see that we've been died together with Christ. We were buried together with him. We're raised together with him. That's why it's important to get the gospel correct. Christ died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and he was raised. And notice, knowing this thing, that our old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed, already rendered inoperable, that henceforth we should not serve the sin nature. For he that is dead is freed from the sin nature, that we should live with, uh, uh, excuse me. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we should live with him knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death has no more dominion over him. For in he, that he died, he died unto the sin nature once, but in that he lives, he lives unto God. Likewise, reckon yourselves. You count yourselves to be dead to the sin nature. And so the sin nature is alive. I mean, i you can hear it, right? But I'm dead to it. Right. I don't have to listen to it. I only listen to it when I want to. And that's a sobering thought. But alive. And so one hand, I'm reckoning myself at a point to be dead to the sin nature. But I'm also saying I'm alive unto God in Jesus Christ. I'm looking at myself as being in my position in Christ and I see myself there. And then he says, verse uh, 12, stop letting the sin nature therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto the sin nature, but yield yourselves unto God as those alive, already it's a, alive out from among dead ones, eknekron do you know a couple of things that are said there, this word present? It's the very same form of the word, the very same word that is used over in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice to God. And so to present it as an offering to him. So now I'm presenting myself or my instrument. Don't present your instruments, uh, or your, your members, yourselves as um, Instruments of unrighteousness unto the sin nature, but yield yourself to God as those who are alive out from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And so this idea of presenting ourselves as instruments of righteousness unto God. And notice what he says in verse 14, for the sin of sin nature shall not have dominion over you. It shall not lord it over you. Why? Because we are not under law as a rule of life. We're under grace. All unrighteousness has a quality of sin. Not all unrighteousness is sin. There is unrighteousness that can affect us in the Christian life when we don't understand it. Many people over the years have said that these unrighteous things are sin. The net result of them is that they have believers living in terror that they will never have victory in the Christian life. One classic example is the word trespass. People who have determined to do sin and have not carried it out. It is highly important that you understand the distinctions that God makes about these things. About sin, about righteousness, and as Courtney said earlier, about judgment. How to judge yourself. How to discern these things. On the bottom of our Christian Life booklet, you will find this under the title, The Christian Life managing your life or managing the mind by grace if you will do that you will be a stable believer able to be used of God in this dispensation you start attributing things that God has not said to your mind and like I say I don't really believe that the believers need a lot of psychologists our drugs, but I say for the unsaved people, bring it on. Get out as much of it as possible. It's going to be necessary. I believe we have something better. And I believe understanding these things make a huge difference. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity of being able to look at these things as grace believers and that we have the ability to be able to glorify you as we manage our minds by grace and as we live in lieu of the things that you've provided, we're so thankful that it's not because of anything that we've done, totally a result of what your son has done on our behalf. And we're thankful that we are not characterized as those that are unrighteous, but that uh, we can see that as the believer, when the believer is, uh, happens to sin, that you cleanse us not only, that you cleanse us from the unrighteousness and you forgive us for the sin. And we're so thankful for that in your son's name we pray. Amen.